Welcome in, welcome back, everybody, to a special interview edition of the Always Irish Show. As always, you can find the program on YouTube. Do it, subscribe if you haven't yet. I appreciate it very much. Give the video a thumbs up if you approve of the content. I'd appreciate that as well. Twitter, search bar, Always Irish, or at Always Irish Yankee. Emails, Always Irish, and the gmail.com. Audio only anywhere you want me. You can get me. Call in line 312 988 now that we're through spring ball, I feel it's a good time to bring in some other Notre Dame media opinions on where we stand in the early phases of the Freeman era. My guest tonight is the managing editor of USA Today's Fighting Irish Wire. If you are local to Chicago, you'll recognize him from the golden era of 670, the score, Chicago Sports Talk Radio. Find him on Twitter at IrishWireND and at Nick Shepkowski, he's coming into the stream. It's Nikki the Kid. Thanks for being here, Nick. Hey, John, it's a pleasure as always, man. Been far too long. Way too much happening not to get caught up on. It has been a while since the last time we did anything. Everything has changed in Notre Dame football's world. Everything. And we need to talk. I need to know where you fall on a, lo- a wide range of items here. Um, first, let me ask you this. We're about six months into Marcus Freeman's tenure. I want to know, we're going to get into specifics. Generally, overall, I want to know anything that stands out to you, sticks out to you, is this going better, worse, about the same as you thought it would be at this point? What's the vibe like to you? Very generally, how do you feel about how the first six months have gone? I mean, energy. Isn't that the first thing that comes to mind when, when you look at this? There's a different energy around this program that hasn't been there for decades. I mean, we're talking Lou Holtz's heyday. I'm not talking 95 Lou Holtz. I'm talking or 96 Lou Holtz. I'm talking 92, 93 Lou Holtz playing for national championships on a regular basis. I'm not saying Notre Dame's going to do that right now under Marcus Freeman. I think that's unfair to a rookie head coach uh, to put that kind of expectations on him, especially when, hey, here's your first date. Go to Ohio State and have that for you under the lights. Um, good luck. Uh, but no, it's the energy around this program right now is something that just hasn't been seen in a good almost 30 years. And I, Brian Kelly, I I know you and I both share a lot of similar thoughts on that man. He did a lot of things right. And I think that a lot of people that come after me online, you, I'm sure, deal with a lot of the same. They want to say, like, oh, you think he's terrible. You think he's that. You think it's this and that. It's like, I never said that. I think he's a very quality head coach. I think LSU has a really good head coach. I also only think that he's going to get you so far, specifically at Notre Dame, where you do, I mean, let, let, let's face it. If you're going to win big at Notre Dame, which would, would, that's what your expectations are. That's what the Marcus Freeman signed up for. You need to be able to put in ridiculous amounts of time recruiting. That means flying cross country to California, hopping on a plane and getting your butt back to New Jersey or Florida, and then getting on a plane to Texas. And doing that for the entire period that the NCAA allows those visit periods to actually take place 
Brian Kelly wasn't that guy. Brian Kelly thought that it was kind of the olden days that, okay, have the assistants go out and do the work and I'll go in, I'll be Mariano Rivera and I'll try to close this thing out. And oftentimes it was just too late for that to, to actually occur. That's not the case with Marcus Freeman. Don't make no mistake about it. It wasn't an accident that a day after his hiring that Notre Dame was putting out on their own social media feeds, him and Tommy Reese being on the private jet. We remember when Lincoln Riley was in the news for getting used to private jet. Well, there's Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese going across the country doing their thing. Like that wasn't a mistake that, uh, that they did that. And I think that the, the thing that sticks out to me the most is just the energy around this, the energy, the expectations are still obviously very high for 2022, but beyond, I mean, this is the best outlook Notre Dame has had in, in probably 30 years. I totally agree with that. And, and it, it gets awkward for me. A lot of my Notre Dame stuff, some of it tends to be somewhat of a feel. Like, I just feel like I have a good feel of the vibe and how things should be versus how they are or were. And it's hard because I always say I this is the, the most glass half full I've ever been about the program since I was a little kid, lose heyday. But at the same time, we don't have the evidence to back that up yet, other than recruiting, which I would argue is somewhat of a tangible evidence-based, you know, piece of data. Um, but I agree with you. I was on campus for the Blue and Gold weekend. There's a different energy, and, and it feels just a little more modern, um, a little more hip, a little more loose, not like loose where it's lackadaisical loose, but just not as stuffy. And yeah, I don't know if that's in my brain. Not the dream loose where you get too uh, too relaxed and, all right, we're on a six-game losing streak. Nothing matters. It's all okay. Sunshine daisies, man. Like, yeah. But it's a loose. It's a, I, I compared it to one of my old coworkers uh, right, after, right after Freeman was hired, and I said it's going to make a lot of people feel real awkward when Marcus Freeman, when they get to know him a little bit, and Notre Dame's all of a sudden cool again because it's been a long time since that's been the case. And he is a guy that is really difficult to dislike. Yeah. And, and that is national and that is not local, but it's national. And when he ver first got hired, people were talking about Notre Dame being hip and modern again. People that normally don't like Notre Dame were rooting for that guy. There's somewhat of a cultural aspect to it. Having an African-American guy be in charge of Notre Dame like now in these times, that's a big deal to a lot of people that I think gets overlooked a little bit the cultural significance of that representation. Um, but just the modern feel, the hip vibe, the new energy, the recruiting energy and focus, all of it. And, and I'm in a position where I feel like it's the most upside Notre Dame's had in my lifetime since Lou. But I can't back it up when people go, you're just a Freeman Homer, he's your guy. I know I can't back it up. It's off feel. But like you said, Nick, Freeman is a high-end upside type deal. It ain't, it's not going to be next year. I'm not expecting it all to be perfect next year. He's a high upside guy. Stack a few of these recruiting classes, and I think we're off to the races. So far, so good, though, right? Like, I, I couldn't ask for much more at this point. No, I mean, you have. Win the bowl game, win the bowl yeah. game maybe. But like yeah. even that, I don't put all on him. There were so many factors moving. I don't blame that on him. Well, what's he supposed to do when your offensive line is consisting of Caden Madden, who 
a gust of wind knocks the guy over. Um, and you had no semblance of a running game whatsoever. Like, wh- what are you supposed to do? Like, Mike Gundy's a good coach. They obviously have talented players. They're going to take away the passing game, and you're playing with, what, two, three scholarship wide receivers by the end of that thing? Okay, yeah. I would have preferred they won. I was in a bad mood for two days or three days afterwards, with like, I think a lot of Notre Dame fans were. But at the end of the day, you're talking big picture. Ultimately, what's the 2022 Fiesta Bowl going to matter? I, not a whole heck of a lot. So, okay, okay. There's there's one little blip, one little thing there. Um, but it's like, Nick. Game, you win that game, are you feeling any different about things right now? No. Well, it's all about the I think days. you would be able to knock the big bowl game thing off, like shut that down. But But here's the other thing. You're talking about all these practical aspects of Gundy and that team and everything. Look at Freeman's time frame. He had a few weeks to do the entire media national media tour of all that. You had players in flux. You had coaches who didn't know whether they were staying or going. They might have been there for those meetings, but they're texting, finding their next job. Like, for all those reasons, I am more than willing to just kind of toss that out as an awkward in-between transitory game and I got people going, oh, you're buying into this guy. He blew this ball game. He's a terrible head coach. I totally disagree with that. That's not even fair to me. It's not a fair perspective. Well, I think that's a good point that you bring up too, is that half of his staff you're looking at and yeah, they're on their phones and meetings, yeah. they're on their phones during uh, mass or whatever it is. And they're looking for a text from their agent saying, what are, where, what are we getting out of playing? Where are we going? Uh, what's our next gig going to be? Because it ain't going to be here. I can tell that the writing's on the wall. Uh, where exactly is the next stop going to be? And I, I know Mike Goolsby, who does some media work now, has told stories about that when they went to the bowl game at the end of the 04 season of just the disaster and the nightmare it was trying to game plan for that. Of Oh, good Lord. Here's our game plan, but it's completely half-assed because these coaches are on the next plane out of town and they could really care less about uh, playing Oregon State in the Insight Bowl or whatever the heck that was. I think that there's a little bit of that going on too. But the ones, I, I will say, the ones that were there, the ones that were in, seemingly were all in on it. See Tommy Reese and, and his game plan going into that day. But, yeah, I think that it lays the groundwork of, okay, the excitement, the first half of that game, that's great, that's that's fun, that's exciting. But, I mean, more importantly here, you're looking big picture. And some of the things that we talked about a little bit, just like the, the Notre Dame part, you have to have somebody there that is able to buy into the things that, that make Notre Dame special to a 16 year old, 17 year old kid. And you're not going to be able to be like Lincoln Riley and say, Oh yeah, get on a, get on a jet, come to LA, enjoy the Southern California lifestyle. You're, you're talking about negative 15 degree winters. You're dealing with the same spring. I am that we've seen one day of damn sunshine since, since the middle of March. Like it's not, weather that you're going to sell. It's not the environment of South Bend that you're going to sell, but what are you going to sell? Like Brian Kelly, they, they started the four for 40 thing and, and kind of pitched that, but how in were they really with that for that number of years? I first time yeah. that Marcus Freeman gets the chance at the spring game, he brings back 300 former players. You can't tell, I, I don't have the quantitative data. I, I, I can't put it in a statistic for you and tell you, that means that this four-star recruit's going to sign with Notre Dame or this many top-tier players are going to now consider Notre Dame because Jerome Bettis is back on campus or because whoever it might be is back on campus. But you can't tell me that that doesn't matter. When you're trying to sell the actual, hey, 
this is what a marquee education can get you. It's one thing to say it. It's another to act it out and actually do it. And I think that's where you see Freeman taking one of those steps. I agree with you. And here, here's something else. I, I, it seems to me many of the items that Brian Kelly cited as recruiting hurdles or negatives to succeeding at Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman has come in and flipped them and found a way to make those positives, not even just neutrals, but finding a way to take some of those challenges, turn them on their head, use them to your advantage, own them, address them head on, and be in. Everybody who succeeded in Notre Dame as ad coach, by succeeding in Notre Dame, we mean titles. They seem to get Notre Dame and, and feel Notre Dame in a way that I'm just not quite sure Brian Kelly ever had in him. Not that it was intentional, but it, it just didn't seem to have the feel like he genuinely loved all of the Notre Dame-ness that comes with that job. It, it was more of a stop for him where Freeman just feels like he gets it saying it isn't about me. It's about the players and about the spirit of this place. That's that's peak Notre Dame success right there. Like that's the angle. And he seems to have it. I think this is off to a wonderful start six months in. And the recruiting's exciting, and we're going to get to that because some of that's going to get juicy. Before we do that, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but we have to address it. Sure. The Brian Kelly dynamic with LSU, not only just him going there, but the interactions with like the Notre Dame fan base and the LSU fan base, they will not accept that I'm happy he's gone and we were all ready to move on and Kelly knew he hit a plateau. I knew Kelly hit a plateau. Everybody was ready for something new. They refused to accept the fact that we like this and and we're, and but it's not saying that he's a horrible coach. It's just that at Notre Dame he plateaued and he knows it. That's why we're in this position today. Well, he's come out and said it. Yeah. He's flat out said as much. And I mean, the, the actions off of Marcus Freeman, how he's reacted to that and gone about his job in the first six months. I mean, they're clear evidence of all of that. I mean, I think when I look back on like the shock and what happened on what was it, a Monday night or Tuesday night when, when the news came out that Kelly was talking to LSU and then an hour later or two hours later, holy cow, he's taking the job, he's gone. A few hours later, he's talking to the team for 90 seconds and he's cruising out of campus, never to be seen again, at least in South Bend. And it's like, oh my God, the whirlwind, the craziness, everything that happened with that. You're reading every article. You're trying to get any information. I'm sure you're trying to talk to people that you know. I'm doing the same thing. Everyone and their mother's doing the same thing with that. And what you don't realize is that like in my process and thinking through all of that, like, man, you lost the top arguably top 10, maybe higher head coach in all of college football. Again, no one's bashing Brian Kelly saying he's a bad coach. However, the plateau part that you talked about, when I look at the things that I was most excited about of if Notre Dame was going to succeed with Brian Kelly, and when I say succeed, I mean, hell, be competitive in a college football playoff game, not just win, not even win one, but be competitive, may have a compelling fourth quarter in one of those. What would need to be done? Well, the things that I was most excited about were either including Marcus Freeman or Tommy Reese. They weren't about Brian Kelly. I think Brian Kelly, 
one of the best things that he was able to do was hire a very good coaching staff at Notre Dame, really post the 2016 disaster, reinvent himself, reinvent his tenure with, with Notre Dame. And, but it wasn't necessarily him that I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. That's a guy that's all of a sudden he's going to put on his cowboy boots and start recruiting in Texas, or he's going to whatever, whatever it might be. Like he wasn't the reason it was the assistance. It was other parts of, okay, well, that's a good branch off the Brian Kelly tree that I'm excited about. It wasn't so much Brian Kelly after 12 years. And yeah. he would hate to hear that. Yeah. And, and, but Nick, here's what it all comes down to. I mean, I took crap for a long time on my show for being kind of down on Brian Kelly. And then people would say, but he's won more than anybody else we've had, you know, who Most are you to, more than anybody else you had? Right. But it's like, who are you to complain? He's the best guy we've had since Lou and all that. I, I can only take so much of being reminded by the people in the know that he's not an active enough recruiter to be able to get this where it needs to go with elite quarterbacks or whatever. How many years do I have to have people who know tell me that? And then I see the results in the playoff games match it before I'm just worn out with it. And you're, you're banging your head against the wall. I'm in this basement doing this show. And you just feel the pressure, that ceiling, that it just felt like we were never going to get over. And Brian Kelly felt that too. That validates my position because he felt the same damn thing. That's why he lives in a swamp right now because he knew it. It was stale. Everybody knew it. I am not saying he's a bad coach. He did a bad job. He built a solid foundational culture, steadied things when the program was really low, built a lot up. And if Notre Dame ever gets to where we wanted to get, Brian Kelly's going to deserve and earn a certain amount of credit for that because he's putting in that foundation. But we just hit a plateau. Now, here's what I, I'm open to and nobody else wants to talk about. If he goes to LSU and somehow succeeds big time, like starts knocking off Saban or something, right? If that happened, I'm going to hear from LSU people. John, I told you it was just Notre Dame, but now he's here and it's working. Here's the factor in there nobody's considering. I'm open to the idea that Brian Kelly maybe did take some serious lessons from this and he could change some of his ways at LSU. How are you going to know that, though? He might decide, I do need to be a much more engaged recruiter, and now I'm at a new place with the new energy. He could do things totally different than he did him at Notre Dame. I'm not going to be able to calculate that, though, if he changed. Well, and I think that the big part of that is, I mean, Nick Saban did that when he turned around the LSU program 20, 25 years ago. When he was hired there, the first thing he did was put, essentially put a fence around the state of Louisiana because that is such a football talent-rich state. Okay, maybe it's not Florida. Maybe it's not Texas. It's right there with Ohio. It's right there with some of the other, uh, maybe not Georgia either. Put Georgia on that list. But outside of maybe those two or three states, Louisiana is up there with as much talent as any state in the country in terms of what they're putting out at Division One levels, SEC starter levels, like – you see that year in, year out. So, yeah, I mean, he can hop in a car and drive two hours now instead. He can hop in a helicopter that I'm sure that he has access to at LSU 
be somewhere in 30 minutes and be talking to a recruit in his gymnasium or library or whatever the heck it is that you meet with a recruit these days uh, at a high school. Like it's, it's, it's a lot easier to recruit there. And yeah, people will bring up, oh, yeah, you don't make the excuses for the academics for Notre Dame. That's a different story. I'm just saying in terms of what you're able to recruit, what's in your own backyard is so much better than like what the state of Indiana and what the state of Illinois produce on a regular basis. Like you can own the Midwest. What did that get you? What did that get all those Ohio state teams for years and years that Jim Trussell owned the Midwest? Great. Okay. You own the Midwest, you own the big 10 and you get thrashed by Florida or whichever LSU or whichever SEC team that you end up meeting up with or USC in the Rose bowl. Thank you. It only got you a certain distance. You need a guy that can do it nationally, and Kelly could not do that at Notre Dame. I mean, 12 years of evidence speaks to that. Not saying that Freeman is Freeman's on a hot run right now. Can he land a Dante Moore? Can he land some other top-tier offensive players? Because the defense is clearly, clearly in a very good spot for the 2023 class. But can he do it offensively? Can he and Tommy Reese work in cohesion to do that offensively? That remains to be seen. But you like his chances to be able to do so because he's already gotten further with so many of these recruits that Brian Kelly couldn't even gotten in the in the living room. Yeah, and and I've said this before on my show, and it's a big philosophical thing to me. If we miss out on a big recruit or whatever, I am not going to have to sit there and ask myself, did the Notre Dame staff do everything they could do? to be in position to build the relationship it takes to land one of these elite of the elite guys at a big skill position. I am not going to have that question. And I always did with Kelly because I just kept hearing the top quarterbacks barely talk to the guy. Well, then you're not in it to get one. So at least that effort isn't going to be in question. And I see that paying off down the road. Um, because I'm not going to have that concern. Now, I give Kelly credit. At least he jumped into the SEC. I mean, we know he has an ego, but I do credit him for jumping right in the shark tank. There isn't going to be anything easy down there. Uh, so at least he's taking that on. But people tell me, he isn't your problem. Forget him. He was a big part of my life for over a decade. I find it really interesting just to see this culture fit or clash, I'm not sure which. It's just an interesting experiment now because he's been such a big part of our lives. I, I want to see from a distance how this goes. How do you think, how do you think this is going to play out down there? I mean, how long until I, it seems like everyone's at least down there from what you hear, the excitement, the new, and saying a lot of the similar things we just talked about, new yep. energy, new, a new, new way of doing business. And so much of that's discussed and thrown around. And it's like, how long is it going to be till, uh, till people in the great state of Louisiana open their eyes and see that, see, see that the, the guy is just, I mean, he's a chameleon. It started yep. off with his press conference to then go into the basketball game and whatever the family thing was. 
Then claiming that he didn't do it on purpose, it's clear as hell you did that on purpose. What about the little bump and grind action, the baby? Bump and grind action that's so uncomfortable that not not for me. You know how much run I got off that content. Why well, don't it's real comfortable for me? That's great. Yeah, no, yeah. that's great run for you. It I love that. that. I wasn't uncomfortable watching when when he's grinding on a sixteen or seventeen year old guy Nick, that ends up choosing Alabama a couple of weeks later. Let's not forget that. Um, but it's just like, there feels like what's authentic with them. Like that, that's, that's what, what I, I was going to say. I know it after 12 years at Notre Dame. Like yep. what, yep. where's Mr. Where, where's the guy that wanted to be a politician after college? Where does that stop? And where does the football coach end? Yep. Or where, where does that end? And where does the football coach start? Because I mean, it felt like it was all one and the same and it just. It's hard, man. Like sometimes I felt like Kelly himself he succeeded so much in this industry and has this respect, but at the same time, I legitimately sometimes didn't know if he knew who his genuine self was. Look at his Notre Dame tenure. We went from purple-faced red ass. Then we went to BK homeboy dancing with the guys. Then we transitioned into low-key delegator CEO Kelly all three of those were the same guy. And then I'm left wondering, which one's the real one? Or, or are we just trying on and hoping this one clicks? Well, is I, there, I, I don't like that. Like, who are you? Is there a real one is kind of the question. Or is that who it is? Like, I don't know. Just, is that who he is? I, I don't know. Which one of those had the ultimate, the best success? The guy that had his hands most clean of anything at the end there. Yeah, the one that wasn't calling his defense. The one that had his, I, I mean, Tommy Reese said it himself, so I'm not afraid to say it. Like he still tried to handcuff Tommy Reese and calling offensive plays. Like it's that that's clear, and it's part of the reason that Reese stayed at Notre Dame because the excitement of not having to to report to someone for the offense. Um, but even with that said, like the less hands on that Kelly was with everything. Notice the better it got. Also lifted. Like there's 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 skill in that. There's skill in being a great CEO. Um, there's plenty of great coaches that yeah have done that and maybe aren't the best X's and O's guys or the best motive, whatever it might be. But I mean, let's not confuse it. It wasn't because of Brian Kelly's hands were super super caught up in everything that that Notre Dame took off. It's because he learned how to to get his hands off of a couple of different things um, for the last four years. That's a, that's a good point. Um, and it's the LSU thing's funny, man. It's deja vu. Like he's doing his spring press conferences, doing the, the Boston politician polish routine, and they're eating it up like gumbo, baby. Oh, yeah. And it's like, this is exactly what we need. And he's got it all laid out. Listen to how planned and everything is. Oh, Everything's always not with Kelly. He poked one joke. It was great. It was hilarious. Yeah, this but, guy's not personal. Okay. But talk, it's like when, when there's no losses yet, the guy's right. great. Everything's great. This is the honeymoon phase of dating when you, you're, you're not showing all your true self because you want the other person to really like you and like right. everything's perfect. You don't know what you don't like yet. Yeah. But they don't want to hear it. Like, yeah, they don't want to hear wait it. Wait till Lane Kiffin hangs 50 on him, or wait till Nick Saban does what Nick Saban's done for 
for his entire career against Kelly. Wait till that occurs and then see what Brian Kelly you get at the press conference. That's yeah, not willing to divulge any information. Yeah, not willing to accept any responsibility. Wait till he's really short, starts getting snippy with you. Like it's all fine now, but they don't want to hear it from me. I am jealous. I'm mad they stole my man. I'm I'm je- I'm sad. I, I'm all that to those people, and they just don't want to hear it when I say it was just time. Everybody knew it. Everybody felt it. And you know what? Let's end the Brian Kelly discussion here. As we sit right now, Nick, everybody's happy. Everybody wins. Brian Kelly's where he wants to be with a lot of money. He seems happy. I got the head coach I wanted since this guy was hired as the defensive coordinator. And he was on campus three weeks last the year before when he was just hired as D.C., He was on campus three weeks. I got people that work at Notre Dame in those offices texting me. He's pushing so much paperwork through the recruiting office, they don't even know what to do. And I said, all right, maybe we're on to something here. That sounds like the kind of guy I want running the whole damn thing. That old recruiting office didn't know what to do. This guy had too much work for him within three weeks. So I I don't know what to think about it, but... Good luck to him. It's going to be interesting. I'm going to have to watch every LSU game like I do Michigan and and root for a certain outcome. It's must-watch TV on the SEC network now. Well, I, I mean, I think I keep, whenever I write about anything Brian Kelly-wise right now, I keep referring to it as college football's new Cold War. I mean, th- these, are, these are heated rivals all of a sudden that don't play each other in the regular season outside of a couple of home-and-homes, once in the 80s, once in the 90s. And then the bowl game game meetings, they're not traditional rivals. They never have been regulars on each other's schedules. They never will be regulars on each other's schedules, but it's going to be, I mean, between recruiting battles that are taking place now, Kelly's exit and departure, all of a sudden, I mean, this is like, this is like a great cold war of college football. Could you, could you imagine a playoff game between Freeman's Notre Dame and Brian Kelly at LSU? Could you even imagine the media frenzy that would be? You never, be- you'd never think that like Notre Dame would get the America's team treatment that like America would be rooting for. I, try to convince me that that wouldn't be the case if that was what happened. Like, try to tell me that that's not what like, they'd have those polls, those old polls that were on ESPN.com where you'd see like the state by state voting. It'd be yeah. 49 states rooting for Notre Dame, and it'd be one Louisiana rooting for LSU if that were the case, because it would be just too good of a story if those two were to meet in such a meaningful game. Yeah, so I, I just think it's an interesting social experiment uh, at this point. And I've been telling people, why can't you let him go? How about this for my number one reason? Now is the time I love Kelly more than ever. I get to laugh at everything he does, and none of it is my problem. It's the best time to like Kelly. Right. Like, it is my favorite time to follow him because all of his weird stuff doesn't affect me. This is my favorite version of Brian Kelly. So with that being said, and still speaking about coaching, how do you feel about the new staff that Marcus Freeman's put together? I think it's a good blend of old and young and energy. What do you think? I like it so far. I mean, I I don't know how you can't like it. Um, I kind of put together one of the things I did right after the departure of of Kelly. I put together, I forgot just the Marcus Freeman part. I mean, 
I wasn't as quickly on board with endorsing him and throwing his name as, as my guy as you were. I think that it took me 24 hours to get fully on board. I think you were on board, uh, like you stated, uh, January of 2021. I'm pretty sure that you were set to go and set to fly on that. Um, but I, I wasn't far behind in, in terms of wanting Freeman. And I kind of put together like my makeshift, like this would be my dream situation for each position coach. And I mean, for some of them, when I look back on that, I wanted Tommy Reese to stay as offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. That's the case. I wanted Lance Taylor to stay because I thought that he had upgraded things so well in the running back room. Really a status you hadn't seen in terms of depth and talent since the end of Holtz, maybe the very start of Davey when you had like Julius Jones, Tony Fisher, a couple of those guys, at least a good 20 years since you've seen that kind of talent in the running back room. Not only did they, I mean, Lance Taylor gets his promotion at Louisville, gets to go be an offensive coordinator. You go get one of the best damn running back coaches in all the country is what you do. Um, and you upgrade there. Obviously, I think anyone that follows this program knows that wide receiver needed an upgrade. And they go out and they take a flyer on a guy that doesn't have the most coaching experience. But early returns on Chastney Stuckey are, are fantastic. Goes in, pulls a star player out of Texas. It's a state that Notre Dame does not get offensive skill players from with any regularity. He's the only the seventh receiver in the last 24 years that Notre Dame's gotten out of there. One of those receivers, mind you, was Carlisle Holiday. So... So really, you could say that it's it's six that they got, um, and, and chances are are fairly. I mean, maybe 50-50 that he ends up getting a second one in this class as well. So I mean, I think that speaks for itself. How can you not love Harry Heastand? I, I don't think like master recruiter necessarily with him, but some guys I think you can get away from having yeah. to do that because because when your resume. When Heastand goes out to recruit and says that, yeah, I was a big part in developing Zach Martin. Yeah, you know that guy, Quentin Nelson? I had a lot to do with his success in college and development in college. Oh, Mike McGlinchey, he was a top 10 pick too. Yeah, I know a thing about him. And Ronnie Stanley, is he okay for the Ravens when he's healthy? Yeah, I had a little bit of say in his career and helping his career and make him into a top five or top six pick um, with the Ravens. Like some guys just kind of like, like, like when Nick Saban can just walk into a recruit's room and be like, hey, here's my ring box. Like that's pretty much what Harry Heastan can do. So I don't know how you can't like that. Um, tight ends coach, I'm interested in. I, I'm curious to know more. Uh, I get why McNulty left. What so, do you think of uh, Al Golden taking over the defense? I, I like the idea because one of the things that I was pushing for and I thought the staff needed, um, and I didn't want it to be Quinn because he was the only guy on the staff at the Fiesta Bowl that had this to his resume. I didn't want it to be a staff without somebody with head coaching experience. And Golden, obviously, great defensive mind. That speaks for itself. His resume does in that department. Sure, he has his debacle at Miami. and Who doesn't? Right, right. Everybody does. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're not paying guys and doing what God you, knows. You know what I said, Nick? The, yeah. When people were pushing back on Golden coming to Notre Dame and the argument was that resume at Miami – and it was like, well, you look at what happened in Miami, you know, not a good fit. You know what? If you're not a good culture fit for what was going on there, then good. That's a freaking compliment that yeah. you were not a culture fit to all of that nightmare that they were admired in back then. Also, I kind of like that he's an old head who's been around pros, college, head coach, assistant coach, seen it all, done it all, recruited it all. He could kind of be the old head that Marcus leans on for stuff. 
based on that experience. And early on, I thought that might be Mike Elston, right? Yeah, and then he left. And then Harry came in, but Harry doesn't have that personality. That's not Harry's role or specialty. I really wanted them to have at least one guy like that. And and this is who it is, and it's a good fit. Al Golden was close to getting the Notre Dame job. So he always has liked Notre Dame. Early returns on recruiting are, are okay. So I'm fine with it. And with Harry, Harry had a falling out with Kelly. And a lot of people were saying, there's no way he's coming back to Notre Dame. They had a falling out. I think he was still living in South Bend, even when he was working for the Bears. Well, hell, players were going to work out with him during the offseason. Yeah. So then I'm hearing, oh, he had a falling out with the university. He's out, you know, forget it. And then Kelly's gone. Marcus invites him and he goes, hell yeah, I'm back. The sheriff's back in town. Let's go move some people. I love it. I love it. Love it. Well, offensive line, you, O-line U is going to be back to be an O-line U. In, but uh, in you're, t- you're totally right. The way this staff recruits overall, you don't need Harry to be that, that lunatic on the trail because his prestigious NFL lineage speaks for itself. Also, offensive line's a little different. He kind of goes big game hunting with a few guys, builds those relationships. Mm-hmm. Somebody with the younger energy of Tommy can go fly all over and do all the other stuff. It all just kind of fits together. I think it's a damn good blend for building this staff in such a short window, having guys you thought were in and then they leave. We thought almost everybody was coming back. It turned out almost everybody left in the end. So I'm happy with where it is. So obviously we got to see the game results. But right now, what I'm hearing seems like a really good blend and a good first effort putting this all together. Yeah, I mean, for for what you were left with, I think that there was panic a little bit when Elston left. You go and get Washington from from Ohio State, who has a quite a lineage as well um, to his name. Uh, one of the guys that I was thrilled that they retained, I, Mike Mickens. I, I don't know if we've discussed enough here in the last two years how good he has been at his job. I mean, for taking guys with relative, not Notre Dame hasn't been recruiting the cornerback position. Like it's like by any great shakes for quite some time. I mean, Julian love is kind of the only exception to that. And the production that you've gotten out of those positions here has been, I thought, I I think that that is a, a feather in the cap of Mickens. I think he's done a fantastic job so far. And I think that you're seeing, Notre Dame involved with some of the big time defensive back recruits, him and O'Leary, I think are two huge reasons for that, but it's such a staff that like you talked about the blend of it's like, and I like where the veterans are. You had the veteran defensive coordinator in golden that has a head coaching experience. You have the old head and Harry, he stand that talk about football guys, football guy. Like that's what you have there and you have the rest to blend it in. And I mean, okay. When it comes down to offensive line recruiting, is it going to be because Tommy Reese's energetic little self goes to, to visit some of these players? Is that really going to be a turnoff? Because, okay, Harry's not getting on a plane and, and taking care of that. I, I have trouble believing that that Tommy Reese or whoever might be on the offensive side of the ball, one of the younger bodies, isn't going to be able to make a, a pretty positive impact um, if, if a kid has even the littlest interest in inkling to go to Notre Dame. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm comfortable with it. I think it was well done for a first effort. There may be tweaks that are needed, but so far, so good. I, I like where it's at. So when we're looking at, when I'm looking at, based off the small window of time we have so far with Freeman, and I think of the biggest differences between now and before, one of them is that vibe and energy that we spoke about that everybody feels, which is pretty obvious. The number two clear difference is there is a noticeable uptick in Notre Dame's recruiting, meaning, in my opinion, we are swimming in a deeper end of the talent recruiting pool than Kelly usually swam in. And I think you're seeing that with how the 23 classes shaped up. Zero three stars in this class so far. Zero. Just not interested. The visitor list for Blue and Gold Weekend. There ain't no three stars on that list. They are swimming in a deeper recruiting pool and making it work. And the three-star guys, those are Michigan guys now. So I'm fine with that. They can have them. And I'm seeing an uptick there. I love what's happening with this recruiting. Can it be kept up? Do you think it's just 23 with the new energy everybody's in? Or can you see this getting stacked? Well, I think that it, it comes down to you're going to have to win. like Because you can get all these great recruits. If you don't win, if you don't show that you can develop talent, continue to put guys in the NFL like a lot of these young kids, that's the only thing that their eyes are on, you have to be able to continue to show that you can do that. But you start to do that, you start to have, take what's what there and develop that in NFL talent. So I'm saying – I mean, like going into this year, for instance, Isaiah Foskey. We hope he's a first-round pick next year, this time of year when the draft goes on. Um, that only benefits Notre Dame for the future of, okay, well, he may not have been recruited under Freeman, but he played two of his years under Freeman and two different uh, defensive line coaches in that time, but he's getting his name called towards the top of the draft. Like, you you turn out the talents, and that's why I think, like, this year is going to be a big one in terms of, I don't expect this team to play for a national championship. I know that ESPN has their way too early rankings out there. Notre Dame sixth in that with their updated rankings that just came out earlier this week. And I was like, that's seems a little high. Maybe, maybe not. Cause I'm not thinking like title or college football playoff aspirations on this one. I mean, number Ooh. six preseason, what's going to happen week one, right? Yeah. Like, like well, that could just, it's like, okay, week one's going to tell you whether that's right. where it is or not, you know? Yeah. But then also what happens if that happens, if something goes south in week one and then you're on the table, I was like, okay, well, right. now we're on to something. Um, yeah. That's, that's a compelling what ifs and what might happen uh, conversation that I'm sure will be had all summer long. But I, I just look at the, just the way things are right now with this team and it's, excitement and energy is what I keep coming back to with it and with the basis of everything right now, just it's yeah. It was that hasn't been there in so long since I was like a nine year old kid. It's crazy, but it's awesome. It is. And you can feel it, man. If you follow Notre Dame long enough as a fan or doing media, like you just have, like you could just feel when that energy's there or not, or when it's stale or when it's new, you just can feel it. But here's where I'm all messed up in my head. Tell me if I'm crazy. This is not something I would normally say, but I mean it. It's very possible. Marcus Freeman could start out at Notre Dame going 0-2, and I still think it's the most upside I've ever seen in my life, and I love it, and, and I'm fine. 
Like that makes no okay. sense coming from me. But Record he could go oh and I'll love it. I'm fine. I'm fine. Snip that little part right there. I'm telling you. And on September, whatever it is, I don't know what the first Saturday in September's date is this year, but if things go south, I just want to come back on here. Not saying I want it to happen that Notre Dame loses to Ohio State, but just saying that if that happens, I just want to play that back for you and see your reaction to you saying that you're going to be just fine with everything and everything's We both know that there's going to still be a negative reaction to the loss. But think about this guy's first two ball games, inheriting the weird dynamic in the bowl game with a million things all in the air at the same time. Mm -hmm. Then going to your alma mater, who's, oh, a top three program at their place week one. He can lose both of those. Absurd to think. It isn't going to change my big picture outlook on this at all. This is a long-term upside recruiting heavy move with Freeman. The first two games are not going to dictate all of that. It's just not. It isn't. And if you win it, it's a rocket ship then, and it's totally different discussion. But if we get beat by a couple scores to that Ohio State team, it is not going to sour my overall outlook on Marcus Freeman at all. It isn't. If this recruiting class was 20th right now, that's a different story. But when I'm looking at what they're doing in recruiting, the future's bright. I'm not going to let that first game sour that for me. I know. I know. It's, I just it's like easy for me to say now, but you know. Hey, you only get 12 games a year, so a loss is extra extra crushing no matter when it is or who it comes against. And even if you're even if you're a big underdog in that game, I mean, losses as Notre Dame fans hurt because you know that there's only 12 of them. And when you lose one, that if it takes you out of the title hunt, you know that you're not playing for a conference title that year. So it's, it yeah. stings extra hard, but I'm just giving you hell. I, I, I feel the exact same way. Like, exactly it makes sense, but it sounds wrong coming from me, mister. Yeah, you can never lose. And I lose my mind and all that, but this is a long-term upside play with evidence that if you're patient, it's going to pay off. That is the big picture here that I see. And this recruiting effort and energy is the engine behind that optimism. And it is clear to me the bar has been raised in Notre Dame recruiting. And that is the only way we have a chance to compete in and win playoff games. That being said, what do you make of Notre Dame's quarterback recruiting situation currently? Where are you at with this? Where uh, are you at? Tell me. Make me feel sane. Where are we at? I mean, it feels different every day. <laughs> like there's days I wake up and I'm like, man, it's a great outlook. This is this is peachy. Everything's dandy. Like this is gonna end phenomenally. Dante Moore is gonna be a, be wearing blue and gold, and things are gonna be great. They're gonna have a five star. They're gonna get Lloyd Carr's grandson the year after yeah, that. It's yeah, yeah. Quarterback, you. Everything's great. And then there's a side of me that starts to buy into all that, gets all excited because there's the Hawes face it or however the heck you say it's Twitter accounts announcing that Dante Moore is going to make it an announcement on a Tuesday night. And I'm thinking, oh my God, he scrapped his Instagram account. There's an LSU picture and a Notre Dame picture only. We're down to the finalists. Here we go. And then it's this dumbass graphic of 
40 different schools that offered him scholarships. And yeah, that's what happens when you're a five-star. And I, I don't know when I wrote about it, I said that it was like the, the 2022 college football version of when Al Capone's vault was open. Like here's a lot of nothing. Here's a lot of excitement. Here's a lot of buzz and nothing for you. Okay. Thank you for that great graphic. Um, carry on. But no, I, in terms of what to make of it, like, my bigger takeaway with it isn't so much of like, does Dante Moore end up at Notre Dame? Does he not? It's not going to be for a lack of effort. We know that we've covered that of how there wasn't that effort with so many top quarterbacks under the Brian Kelly era. It's clear that that effort is there right now that it's being done full, like full force towards Dante Moore. There's not, if Notre Dame doesn't end up winning that recruiting battle, it's not going to be because of a lack of effort. Let's just put it that way. Yep. I don't know what he ends up doing. I I'm hopeful I'm usually more optimistic than I am pessimistic, but we're all 17 years old. I heed and hawed over which Division Three college track program I was going to go run at for God knows how long, and that had no bearing or significance on anything, especially like in the day of NIL that we're in now. Um, I think it's going to be a little while here on Dante Moore before we actually know, and that's it's his right, that's his choice, and – can't fault a kid for that. Like some of the people, I wish you'd just make up his mind already. Listen, like, listen, here's, here's the deal, Nick. I can't get everybody on board with this. Here's the way I look at this. I look at this as a good problem because we are swimming in the deepest of the deep end of the talent pool at the most important position in all of sports. Those guys have ego they have that alpha. They like the attention. They like the red carpet. They like all that love. They like all that. You almost have to play that game if you're Notre Dame. You have to. Because if you tell a kid like this, if you're interested here, you got to kind of do that, not go see other places and all, they're going to give you the middle finger and you're totally out of it. The alternative is take all the great Chicago Catholic League guys like me who are three stars that would die for a Notre Dame offer and you don't have to worry about them being pulled anywhere else. You can fill up your roster with three stars that love Notre Dame and it's their dream to go there, but you ain't winning a playoff game that way. So you can't have it both. It With the elite of the elite, we're just going to have to be uncomfortable Look at the recruiting pictures of all the other visits and not like it. You're just going to have to deal with it. That's what it takes now, right? I mean, it's, it's swimming with sharks. Like yes, you have to. It's, it's, if you want to compete with the big boys, you have to act like a big boy. And that's what Notre Dame's finally doing. They're taking their swings. Sometimes you go up to the Bears box, you strike out on three pitches, but you at least you go up and you take your swings. Like, that's what Notre Dame is doing with this with more. This is what they're doing with Carr next year. Yep. And I'm sure other quarterbacks will emerge in that class as well. And that's where that's where that it's such a good news just to have this is where the program's headed. Exactly. That's how I look time, at it. Like when's the last time a big time quarterback recruit came to Notre Dame? Gunnar Keel? And he came here why? Because he was a legacy? Yeah. That, like that that was your only tie-in under Kelly. Like, and I'm not saying that you didn't have talented quarterbacks like Deshaun Kaiser ended up being a second round pick. Um, Ian Book, obviously, his college resume, he wasn't a highly coveted recruit. Yeah, but but see, this is just different. This, this is, is starting at a different place. Right. Like, yeah. your, your starting point is so much higher than any of those guys. 
that ultimately you'd think your endpoint, if you are able to land them, is going to be higher as well. And that's not to take any way from, from those two that I just mentioned or three that I just mentioned because two of them had great Notre Dame careers, at least statistically. Mm-hmm. But there's better that's out there. You've seen it in those big-time games of, well, Trevor Lawrence was back for Clemson, and he's just too damn good. Well, and Ian Book's good, but he's not – Trevor Lawrence, or he's not Mac Jones, along with an all-world offensive line and an all-world running back and all-world defensive line and all-world linebackers and all-world safeties and defensive backs and all-world everything because it's freaking Alabama. But that's what Notre Dame's hopefully taking steps to becoming closer towards being. And if if it doesn't work out for Dante Moore, it's going to be a little bit of a shame because this 23 class is going to be really, really good with or without him. But you know, just like I do, how our Notre Dame circle is. If they don't get more, I know what Twitter's going to be filled of. Freeman is a rookie coach who fell for this, and then he looks like a fool and all this, you know, whatever. Notre Dame got played for likes and, you know, all the media clicks and all that. My position is, this is a great problem to have. This problem and all the worry we have, it's good. It means we're raising up a notch here. And even if it doesn't pay off with this one, it's going to pay off eventually in the long run. Even if you don't get this one guy, this kind of effort towards this level of kid that is relentless is going to pay off in the long term. Notre Dame people just don't like it. We're not used to it. We want all these guys to look at Notre Dame how we do. And they don't. And a lot of coaches don't. That's hard to see. It's just hard to like wrap your mind around, but it's a good, good problem to have, I think. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, this is the way that it works. And this is big time recruiting. I mean, even look at guys that have already committed. Like Keon Keeley was the first guy to commit in this class. And at the time of his recruitment or the time of his commitment, I should say, like he wasn't even the biggest defensive end that Notre Dame had, had gotten a commitment from. If you remember the early returns were that Brennan Vernon was the five-star out of Ohio when he was the bigger deal. Not to say that Vernon is not a big deal, but Keon Keeley's being a top 10 ranked player by some of the, the on three outlet um, 24-7 sports has him as a top 20, top 15 prospect in that entire class. And it's like, okay, you have a commitment from him. He's taking visits to Florida. He's taking visits to other powerhouse programs. He's still tweeting about the other programs that are interested in him. He says that he's verbal to Notre Dame. This is the way big boy college football is played. You can love it. You can hate it. But if you want to be a part of it, if you want to be a part of playing for actual national championships, not just the, hey, we got into the college football playoff, and now our fans can go buy a T-shirt and a cool souvenir and, and say that, rah, rah, we did this, great. But if you want to actually compete in those games and possibly win those games and be hoisting the trophy at the end of the season, this is what you're going to have to do. And if you if you don't like it, too damn bad. You're not going to get what you ultimately want then. Yep. So I, I think the the tide is rising on Notre Dame recruiting overall. I feel like the floor is being, being raised, and that helps all of it. Now, tying into that big boy game, and it is what it is, you got to play with it. What do you make of all the NIL craziness? overall and where Notre Dame fits into that that skew well it's it's overdue but underthought I think that it was overdue that players should be it should have been this way for decades and decades that 
you're able to profit off your likeness. I mean, whether it's football, whether it's a diving team, whether it's wrestling, whatever it might be, if you're able to cash in on your athletic success beyond just the scout, I'm not saying like, okay, a scholarship's nothing, but you know that some scholarships that are going to be given out are different than other scholarships athletically that are given out. Um, you should be able to capitalize on that because you're only going to play sports for a certain amount of time. If you blow out your knee playing college football, there's no NFL for you. What do you have to fall back on? And you didn't have that money to make off of football while you were there. Okay, well, you get your education. Well, I also raised, brought in hundreds of thousands of dollars for a university potentially that I didn't see a dime of. Um, so it was overdue. But within that same thought, when it was kind of rushed to and agreed upon and everything's okay that NIL passes. Like I, I'm the last guy on earth that's going to defend Pat Narduzzi. I, I can't listen. Yeah. I mean, when him and Pat Fitzgerald do their little thing where yep. one won't say South Bend, the other won't say Notre Dame and they do their little meetups to try and game plan for the other against one. I mean, I think it's utterly cute and hilarious at the same time. I'm not going to be one that usually defends a Pat Narduzzi in this world, but like, there's no reason. Why should Pitt have to pay a price? They land a big time commitment. They get a Bolitnikoff winner and have him develop right in front of their own eyes. And because the city of Pittsburgh or the university of Pittsburgh doesn't have the same opportunities in terms of the money-making ability that, Maybe a USC, I say maybe a USC. I mean, let's let's not sugarcoat it. We all think that that's where Addison's going. Um, like, this wasn't thought out enough. It was rushed to because it was the right thing to do. I do think those that made the determinations to, to race along the NIL and get it approved, I think their hearts were in the right place, meaning well. But that doesn't mean it was done the best way. Do I have the answer and solution on how to exactly fix that it's been an age-old problem with the ncaa as a whole so no i i don't know how to just get rid of the obvious i mean you can call it cheating you can call it legal cheating whatever you want to describe it as but that part clearly was not addressed and it's turning into something that's a lot more of a problem um for the good that it brings there are a lot of problems that i think that people weren't uh, weren't thinking of when they kind of hurried this along See, that's where I find a philosophical struggle with this argument, because when you say this feels like it's already snowballing a little out of control, you know, from where the ideal of it was, my next logical point is, who are you going to trust to clean this up? The NCAA? Right. You may as well have Chicago politicians try and figure it out then. Like, there's no group I trust less than them to put in a proper framework and monitor and enforce it. I don't trust them. So I've been saying, I think every school is unique in terms of what they do have to be able to offer. I almost just think your best path isn't to rely on anybody else to do anything. You got to make this work for your brand, your school, and most importantly for us. Work it within a value system that you do not feel like you're compromising what you stand for to get good guys. So for Notre Dame, tie your stuff into academics, charity, community, and it helps the guys. 
that's the best blend for Notre Dame because the administration feels good about it. The guys benefit. You're doing good for the community, whatever. So I just think you got to make it work for you in your unique circumstance and whatever you have to offer or can tolerate. It's, I've seen a lot of Notre Dame needs to get in this with giving guys millions or join the Ivy League and forget it. I don't see it. That's, I don't see those as the only two options. I don't. And I think the fact of how good this recruiting class is right now kind of shows that. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think they have to join the Ivy League or give a guy $3 million in a house. I yeah, don't. I don't think so either. I mean, you look at this and just look at some of the guys that are on campus right now, like well, one that just turned into a first-round pick in Kyle Hamilton. Like Kyle Hamilton, okay, you have an all-world talent and one of the best safeties college football seen in quite some time, but you also have a guy that a lot of like what Notre Dame stands for academically, really stinking smart kid. Um, obviously heck of a football player, but where did he make his money doing a podcast, um, going out with that, uh, putting together youth camps around South Bend where he'd have his own Kyle Hamilton football camp and be able to profit off of that. Like it wasn't like Kyle Hamilton was out there and I don't, I, I don't know what the, some of the crazy and odd NIL ones that are out there that you've seen, but it's like Blake Fisher right now. He's doing a thing with the YMCA and telling the story of the YMCA and how he grew up in a YMCA and all the benefits of that. Yep. Like really getting involved in the community. Um, Like it's, I I think you're very right about that. And I think that I think what you're seeing right here, here's my little put, put on my shout out to Murph, put on your predictor, my prediction bell, ding, ding, ding. With Brady Quinn heading this at Notre Dame or being at least a, a higher up in charge of the whole NIL program, and the way that he was handled and turned into the MC of the Marcus Freeman introductory press conference, yep. and the more and more you see him, I, not that he's ever shied away from being the Notre Dame guy, but it's like he embraces it more and more, I guess maybe the further away we get from his his college career. Yeah. That's, that's a future Notre Dame athletic director. You think you think that? See, yes. I don't know if I've thought that out that far. I, I um, think that he one day is going to be the athletic director. He's got the looks, he's got the polish, and he's got the pedigree. I mean, he's and he's right? not he's not afraid to have like strong stances on things. I know that makes you a good talk show host. Doesn't make you a good AD. I mean, you got to have a backbone. You're going to be the boss of a bunch of different bosses. Like you have to have a backbone like that. And in order for like if you're trying to sell Notre Dame, I know that Jack Swarbrick does things that make us crazy. I don't know your thoughts on the Shamrock series. I don't know how much we've gotten into that over the years, but like can do a whole episode on him one day too. But like that's a Notre Dame guy that gets a lot of the Notre Dame things. And I think that's a very important thing when you look at the future athletic director and that's I'm just throwing it out there. Now, now let me, let me throw something else out there that relates directly to that discussion. I can't say I made that immediate connection, but I do love the idea that he's the face and you have the Mendoza family money behind the operation. That always helps anybody who's got a name on a building over there. I'm all for them being behind whatever we're doing, but follow me here. I have a serious thought that Swarbrick's going to ride off into the sunset or possibly take over for Mark Emmert and run the NCAA. I don't know about that, but follow me here. 
There's a part of me that wonders if a new AD is going to come in, look around at the landscape with the shifting conferences, playoff shifts, whatever that's going to be, looks at all the money and says, it's a no-brainer. We're joining a conference. It's more money and an easier path to the playoff. We're joining. I have that as a real train of thought that the new guy might be so modern. Look at the landscape. Look at the, the, N- the NBC deal doesn't make us the money it used to. We lose money compared to a revenue share in a conference. It wouldn't surprise me if a new guy comes in there and says, tradition be damned. Like the money's the money and it's an easier path. We're going to go there. Do you see that as the future? Do you think Notre Dame will hold out Indy until they absolutely are forced not to? I mean, I think it, I think they'll hold out until, until you're looking at like, I mean, there's already a gap. Like Big Ten teams are bringing in more from the Big Ten network, a significant yep. amount more than the NBC deals bring in Notre yep. Dame. And, and they're both still way less than the SEC deals. Correct. You know? Correct. Um, yeah. And then, but here's the other thing you could slow play this. And if they expand this playoff to a number where Notre Dame no longer feels they have to be perfect every year to gain entry, that may alleviate some of the pressure because you would have, you could lose a game and Notre Dame would still be in in a 12 team or at 11 to one every time. Right. Like, so I think some of that depends on what the future that looks like, but financially there's no argument to be made for staying independent financially. It's, traditionally. And I just worry if you get a new AD and he's modern, crunches the numbers, it's a no brainer. If you go by the numbers, it really is. No, you're exactly right. It's no brainer by numbers. I hope that's, that's why I hope that it is somebody that I, I'm a long time, just stay independent until I'm six feet underground and forgotten about on this earth. Stay independent. You didn't want Notre Dame when they were up and coming and, and start to get good at this thing, but then they start making money and you want a piece of that, that then they're good enough. Like yep. part of me hopes that if I live to see 95 years old or a hundred years old, that Notre Dame's still playing independent football by then. Just be just because of the tradition and what it speaks to that standing up for yourself and believing in yourself, like the little program in the Midwest that could like, I, that, that's one of the things that I, I will, I mean, till I, I I will take it to my grave, hoping that Notre Dame stays independent for as long as I live. Yeah. And I took a bunch of crap from Pigskin Pete. He's a Clemson YouTuber. Yeah. And he, we did a few combined shows and he was giving me such a hard time. He's going, you're telling me if they join the ACC and they win a title, you're not going to be happy. And I said, no, I'm not saying I'm not going to be happy. But what I am saying is it's going to have a very different feel than if we did it independent. It would feel to me like we had to cave something to be able to reach it, and it just wouldn't feel the same. Obviously, I'm going to be thrilled, but it isn't going to feel the same, and I mean that. Yeah, it would be different. I mean, it was different even in 2020. Playing in the ACC, it was just different when it was conference championship weekend and, okay, lost to Clemson in that game and are still in the college football playoff. It was just different, and I – wasn't necessarily, I'm not saying bad, but it was significantly different just to kind of go through week by week and look at conference standings and okay, who's who would have this week? It's like, no, I should be doing this nationally and be rooting against 
USC or rooting against Michigan or whoever the heck it might be, not rooting against what the hell do I care what Louisville does or what the heck North Carolina or Carolina State does. This is just strange and I don't like it. Yeah. Yep. It was it was a bizarre experience. Um, but it was one that I'm sure Notre Dame people took as a test case. Oh, because no it was a no it doubt. was a total free run to try this out with no commitment. Like I'm not obviously COVID was not a good situation, but that was a free pass to be able to test the waters with no full commitment. And I found it very, very interesting. I think they even got uh, to share some of the TV deal, right? Yeah, NBC, Notre Dame and NBC and the ACC all kind of shared. Yeah, so I they all ended up making more dough. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, I'm an independent guy, but uh, you know, I money's money, man. How I mean, far uh, is how far is the disparity in money be- before you don't have a choice anymore? I guess is yeah. my main question. Right. right. Yeah. Is it ten million dollars a year like it is now? That or is it fifty? Well, or is it a hundred? Like right. that's going to make you not able to compete if it gets to a certain. Oh point. yeah, we've already heard about uh, how Notre Dame can't afford to have the nice training tables and the amazing um, food bar. Yeah, sack, sack lunches. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they all go to the soup kitchen after practice, That's according right. to Kelly. You know, yeah. it's exactly what they do. They go to the little sisters of the poor in order to get their handouts for clothes and yeah, go and go back to their dorms and just hope that hope that Burger King or something arrives on Uber Eats. Perfect. So <sighs> let's finish with this. We talked a little bit about next year. What do you suspect, assuming reasonable health, which you can never assume in football or my White Sox, assume assume relative health at key positions, what do you expect the record to be? And what do you think a successful first year record would be for Freeman? And I'm open to the idea that those two may be different answers. Well, I think that I feel like I have to give Marcus Friedman a pass for being able to lose a game you're not supposed to lose. Like, how can you not give a coach that in their first year of being a head coach? I got people telling me already they're not doing that. They're already telling me, Nick, he was brought in here to take it to the next level. There's no excuse for that. John, you were mad when Kelly would lose to and you're going to be okay with this. They are not the same situation. He is in his first year. And I say all the time, nobody can flip 11 years of Brian Kelly roster building in one year. Nobody. So I'm with you where if he drops one where he has clearly more talent than learning experience, I can live with it. I don't think it's a championship team next year anyways. I'd rather you figure out what you need to figure out. Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at on it. I mean, gun to my head right now, I think it's like a 10-2 and two team. It's a, it's a tough schedule. Uh, it you is. Open at Ohio State. Uh, you're not going to find many people in the nation that aren't putting an L next to that one. Yep. Uh, I would love to be wrong. Oh, my God, would I love to be wrong about that, but I don't feel good about that. Mm-hmm. That's going to be as good offense as there is in the country next year, and hey, good luck stopping it. Um I Notre Dame's going to have a great defense, but we're seeing in college football here in recent years of good offenses versus good defenses. It's, it's not the same football that, that your dad grew up on. Um, and I, the damn USC man, like that game scares the hell out of me. And I think that Notre Dame still has more talent 
than yep. USC does, but I can just see this weird situation where like both teams maybe have one loss going into that game. USC knocks Notre Dame out of the college football playoff by beating them. And then Utah beats USC in the Pac-12 championship the next week to knock them out of the college football playoff. And somehow they end up playing in a New Year's Six Bowl against each other or something crazy like that. I can just see like that rivalry has been so sedated for so long. And it should be so good because there are no... There's no rivalry in college football where things are so polar opposite than Notre Dame and USC. Yep. And now you, I think you have elite guys at both of those schools for the first time and for freaking ever. And like, I think that it's going to start off with an absolute bang between Lincoln Riley and Marcus Freeman. And I think we're setting up to be uh, the next decade of this being as good as that rivalry was in probably about the seventies where where national championships went through that, I think that yep. that both of these programs are going to be back on the cusp of competing for national championships in, in real short order. I think. But to answer your question, since I long-windedly uh, avoided giving an actual answer, I think that, I mean, I don't want to be, to, to your point of like, oh, John, you're the one that you have to win every game and this and that. Like, yeah, like, to Kelly I'll, after 10 years, yes. I'll to Kelly that. after 10 years. Not this guy learning how to be a head coach. They're not the same thing. If Freeman was brought in to get it over the hump, but nobody said it was going to be tomorrow. Say Notre Dame goes 9-3, and three, a loss against Ohio State, a loss against, L- or against USC, and a loss against somebody else, but they beat Clemson. Is that acceptable? I mean... To me, year one, in you're year not going to... Obviously, if it's year three and we're talking about this... Right, know. exactly. But, okay, I think if he finds a way, no matter who it's against, to have double-digit wins in the regular season, I personally think that's a hell of a first year, okay? I do. The schedule this year and next year are significantly tougher than the last few years. They just are. But see, when I'm looking at 10-2... and two, if you got half your losses week one, that leaves you next to no cushion right. for an injury-riddled week or stretch or anything goofy to happen. So I'm not going to freak out if it's nine and three. And, and, and here's what else I think people are underestimating significantly. I don't begin to pretend to understand how much there is to learn on game day as a new head coach. I don't know what that learning curve is of all the game day stuff you have to manage and the feel for that and all this in-game stuff, delegation versus you doing it, all of that. And I even felt like I saw Marcus Freeman a little unsure of some of that in the bowl game. I felt like there was a little bit where I could tell he was figuring out what exactly should I be doing right now? I don't know. Is that learning curve worth a loss? Like, like, I don't know how you calculate. And I feel like people are overlooking that aspect of it completely. And it's like, just look at the talent, blah, 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 10 and 2, 11 and 1. I think it might be harder than maybe people think. I don't know, though. Yeah. Um, I mean, what's it? I think I've talked myself to, I'm in play this back for me in December if it's to happen. But I think I've talked myself into being okay and being giving a pass at nine and three. 
Like I, I, I think I have. If you're able to go one and two against against Ohio State, Clemson, and USC, if you go at worst one and two against them, and you have a loss, a dumb loss against the North Carolina or whatever it might be, like I think I'm willing to give that a pass. My expectation now, is that they win ten games, but right. I think I'm okay. I, I'm not gonna be. I'm not going to be having like the the bar raised for concern of if if they if they're nine and three, I don't think this thing is like off track or that Marcus. Now is- here's something else with this that may not be fair, but I mean it honestly and genuinely. My openness to losses next year somewhat correlate with how good the recruiting is, and that may be short sighted. But as long as I see this recruiting where it is, that curries favor with me to be like, there are brighter days ahead with more talent ahead. The better the recruiting results are, the more open I am to that loss leeway because I just know it's only going to get better theoretically. And and I don't know if maybe that's short-sighted, but as long as that recruiting effort stays the way it is, I'll give the guy a game if he needs one. I will. Yeah. I'm going to still well, be mad and freak out, but I'll, but big picture. Well, you rather it happen than in that case it, that it happens in 2022 than it does in 2024 or 2025 when you think you're, when you think that this big time recruiting class is, is coming to the plate and is going to be in a year where they can compete for a national championship. You, you get that loss, get those growing pains out of the way now as a head coach. And that goes back to one of the things we talked about earlier. I think that that's part of the reason that I like the golden hire so much as a defensive coordinator of you have a guy that's been a head coach and sure we went over the Miami part, but he's a hell of a guy that turned around a temple program that was laughable before him, laughable after him, at least until um, Matt rule got there. I, and like to, to me, I think that there's incredible value in having that on your staff. And like, I, I don't look at it as, I still think that there are growing pains that are going to come that that's with anyone that's in a new job, anyone in a new position, like Freeman's going to be in, but I, there's a lot of talent on this team too. That, that Okay. I'll give you a pass for nine and three. And then it's going to be uh, expectations are going to go up each and every year after that. And I think that's more than fair, especially after he has a full year. Um, in the back of my mind, there's a part of me that thinks these next two years are really tough, especially with the Ohio State dynamic in our schedule. A part of me wonders if two years, you got younger guys, you're flipping the roster over into Freeman's image and recruiting. You got some tough teams. You're going to learn some tough lessons, grow from them. Then the schedule will lighten up a little bit when you get out of that Ohio State window. And then that means you're also two to three years further into this recruiting operation. I could see that as a big picture vision and I would be, I would be okay with it. I would be. Yeah. I would be too. Like if, if you're talking about, I mean the ultimate and that's being competing and winning a national championship. Like, yes, I, I think that you're a fool if you aren't really, if you're not willing to take a little bit of a short-term pain in order for the long-term gain. Like, I think you're foolish. I mean, we've waited 34 years, 33 years now for a national championship. Like, I don't want to wait another 33 or 34 years. Like, I want one sooner rather than later. And if that's going to – if that if that's part of the path that has to be taken to get there under this regime, then I might not like it in the moment, but I'll appreciate it uh, 
when those bright days that we hope for eventually get here. That's kind of how I look at it too. And I still keep coming back to recruiting is the engine that drives all of this. 100%. And as, lo- as long as I see and I know that that talent's coming and Marcus is learning, then then I can live with a couple blips on the radar that are uncharacteristic the next year or two. I can, because the upside on the other end, if we get there, is something like you said, we haven't seen since we we're three, four years old. So I don't know. Is there anything else that we didn't cover? I already <laughs> kept you too long. I was like, maybe we'll, we'll go an hour. Now we're close to an hour and a half. I don't want to keep you all. And I know you got a family. Hell. <laughs> nah, I mean, God, getting to talk Notre Dame football, just kind of an open forum like this. There's no such thing as too long. Yeah. We, we touched on the schedule. We touched on the recruiting. We touched on the first impressions of, of Marcus Freeman. Um, I guess like the one thing would be like, if you have one big concern going into 2022 that you need an answer on, like, what would you need? Is it Tyler Buckner? You need to know exactly what you have for a guy that's going to be in his first go around as a starter and well, all that. You, you got to, you got to, that, that depends if I know I have Dante coming in the year after or not, right? Like it's, it's all kind of connected. Sure. Like, right. Right. It's, it's all kind of connected, but it's like, I, I've been really thinking about this, like the developmental track of Buckner. It's been really unfortunate, Nick. He has lost like two, almost three years on things that are not his fault. A- ACL year out COVID year out. So like his developmental track is not where anybody wanted it to be. And it's nobody's fault. Yeah, obviously, I'd feel better if I saw that he looks like there's going to be some high end there. But if I know I got Dante coming behind him, and then we might be stealing Michigan's coach's grandson the next year, then that lowers the pressure. So maybe I'm copping out. But my answer to that, honestly, is tell me if we're getting a big quarterback in the next class or not, and then I'll decide how important that is or not. Yeah, I think that's is that fair. Or am I copping out? Well, it's a little bit of a cop out, but it's also I, I think it speaks to how you approach this year. I think that a lot of fans approached it this year with that in mind of okay, well, even if Buckner's not the guy, then do you have this five-star talent coming in, this best quarterback? It's like Nick, in, in I was sitting there. I'm sitting there doing my uh, blue and gold, what to watch for pre-show, you know, and I have all these items. Number one item of the whole thing was, I know that Buckner can run like a wild man. I can't wait to see him throwing the ball all over. Let's see what we got. And then sure enough, bam. This is is a step and the the banana peel gets him and and it's all out. And, uh, and then I end up seeing him at the tailgate for the Irish players. Right. And I'm like, how's the foot buddy? You know, like, I was, it was my number one thing I needed to see just to feel a little bit more comfortable going into week one. And this is going to be really ignorant, probably. A part of me, Nick, thinks Notre Dame should run out there with a half borderline option against Ohio State. Have him run in, pitch it out there, eat up about seven or eight minutes, keep their offense off the field, eat up a bunch of time. And then when they're all sucked in, then he throws it like nobody will be suspecting it. Like, like I'm just a little nervous. I just need to see him throw a lot. 
Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, he came out and that Virginia Tech game, I mean, maybe that's a perfect, like, June deads of summer when you're just counting down to get to the season. But this past year's Virginia Tech game, the stupidity behind how that game was won of everyone thinks Drew Pine's going to be the starting quarterback. It ends up being Cone. Cone's a disaster for however long. Buckner comes in, saves the day temporarily before throwing an interception, and he only gets replaced by Cone because he hurts himself after throwing a pick, and Cone ends up coming out being a different guy for the entire rest of the season and saving that game and saving a New Year's Six Bowl of just the, 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 the stupidity and oddness and silliness behind all that, and that's really the last impression we're left with with Tyler Buckner. Yeah, it's well, and, and the other, duty against Georgia Tech and Navy. See, here's the other problem I got yeah, I with this is because you're in a situation with Jack Cohn and then Buckner, they have total opposite skill sets. And so it made it really impossible. Like Cohn's a statue and Buckner, all he does is move. So it's like there, there was... I think that's why every time we saw Buckner, it was so limited because there was very little overlap between what both of those guys could do. So combining that with his injuries and the COVID year, you're like, just for his sake, not even mine, just for him, I would like him to be able to cut loose and let's really see what he's got. And we just haven't seen it. Even when he played last year, they weren't letting him cut loose and just play. It was a very limited package. I just want to see the guy, man. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I, I do want to see him play because when you see his highlights from his junior year when he went on the run in the California State playoffs, it's like this guy has got some absurd talent. would like to see that unleashed a little bit. Yeah, but then it's like good luck against Ohio State week one. Like, right. you know, like it's just the, the dynamics of all this are just challenging because there's just a lot of unique stuff that all just makes it really interesting and really unique. Like how all of this has come together. There's so many weird parts to it that are like only we would find ourselves in this position because it's <laughs> Notre Dame and nothing's ever normal. It's always something. Yeah, exactly right. Like it's it's that's the story of being a Notre Dame fan. It's just like it's always damn something. It's always yeah. whether it's on the field, a coach lying on his resume, a guy making up a girlfriend, whatever it is. It's always damn something with this with this school and this football program. But I guess that's what keeps us coming back. It does, and I guess that's what keeps guys like us in business. There's that's never a, there's that's never true. a shortage of material. Because that's very true. It's a very uh. good point. It's always a lack of content. That's for certain. Yeah. So I don't know, man, but I, I will say this, the, the, the energy around the program is healthy and, and I don't know for sure if Marcus Freeman is going to get this over the ultimate hump or not, but I do feel pretty strongly that whoever does it next, if it ever happens, it's going to be this kind of vibe and feel. I think it's healthy. It's energetic. It, it, promotes all of the best aspects of Notre Dame. Like this is the vibe that is going to do it. And I hope it's him. Cause I, I think he's the most genuine guy around. And you know what, man, in this sport, I would love to see a genuine guy do it the right way and prove that with all the snakes that are around in this business, 
that you could be a genuinely nice, humble guy and get it done. That would be the ultimate victory for me in the end. Yeah. I mean, you look at like the great sports stories that are left to be told, like whether you're a Cubs fan or not, that was like the last, like, Oh my God, this actually happened. And once that happened, like what's the next great sports story, Notre Dame returning to prominence in a world where they're not supposed to be able to compete. Like, I think that that's about as good of a sports story as you can have right now when they're on the cover of sports illustrated with the big crystal ball being held up on it and being national champions. Like, Tell me a better story that's out there there right now that's like for in terms of big time or at least either professional or major college football slash basketball stories that are out there to be said. Something that hasn't happened in 30 years and isn't supposed to ever happen again, according to so many people's eyes in this day and age of college football where it's all SEC that and they're in a different brand and they're in a different league and and everyone else is just playing essentially tiddly links. Like it would be an all just an all time just. Oh man, I'm so excited I know about it's it. you know, Nick. Sometimes, man, yeah, Boston College in '93. Sometimes, <sighs> I will allow myself a minute to think about what you just said, yeah. and then I make myself snap out of it because, like, I will get into it and picture what that's like and that feeling, what it must be. I gotta, st- I just gotta cut it off because I just don't want to like tease myself like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's way too much scar tissue, man. I know. Like, there just is uh, for our age range of Notre Dame fans, you know. Um, But the future is as bright as I have ever felt it have been. And I'm encouraged. And and I, this guy seems so genuine. You honestly just want to see him succeed. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, it's, I I love the Players Tribune article that he wrote uh, shortly after his hiring where he discussed being a player's coach. And there's like this perception of like, oh, if you're a player's coach and you're not a red ass, you don't get in somebody's face. It's like, that's not a player's coach. Like a player's coach is there and they'll cheer you on and they'll support you and have an open door and and be there as almost like a father type figure for, for 17 year olds, 18 year olds that are away from, from home for the first time. But they'll get after you too. They'll coach you to make you better. Like that's when you have a player's actual best interests in your mind, like that's a player's coach. And he spoke to that a bit. And I thought when they know it's genuine and they know it's not you angling just to benefit you, you know, while using them. Right. It's these, it's genuine with him. Like they can, it it really is. And in this business, that's just rare, man. It's next to never. It's just rare. That's next to never. And I think I meant to mention it when we were bringing up uh, Harry, he stand earlier. But just what it reminded me of what you just said. But with his comments during uh, spring practice when he was interviewed by the media, maybe I guess it was he was introduced as the new offensive line coach coming back. But when he just talked about the oh, it's nice, it's not about me here, it's about a we type of feel, and pretty much just without saying it, just kept punching, dang, yep. jabbing, yep, sucking at the Brian Kelly yep. tenure. I thought of that, and I thought of the Marcus Freeman piece that was in uh, the Players' Tribune that he wrote. That I thought both of those were just, uh, you know, what else? Is what they were saying without saying it. Here's what gets me. Did you see on Twitter last week the gift that Freeman sent all of the season ticket holders? Did you see that? I did. The Charger and the just the family I, photo and 
I just charged up for Saturdays. I'm telling you, man, little stuff like that matters in a personalized letter saying, thank you for supporting us. You know, we value you. I just think little karma pieces like that. He don't have to do that. He didn't have to think of that. I asked the season ticket holders if they got anything from Kelly and some of them responded. Yeah. Ulcers and a stroke, you know, that's what they got from Kelly. Like, all those little genuine gestures. This guy's buying so much goodwill. It's just a matter of how many people are going to lose that goodwill if we lose week one to Ohio State, and then they're going to go, you know, the hell with all that good stuff he did. We were, right. we're he's zero two. Get him out of here. Right. Derry Foss was the nicest coach ever to to coach at Notre Dame, but uh, that didn't get you anything in the win loss department. I'm telling you, Nick, we're modern, we're hip, we're cool, and we're Catholic, damn it. Like, it's just so weird to say. I, I, had, I had Zorich on my show right after that. Yeah. And I, and I told him, I said, are we cool again? You know, and he started laughing and he's like, I know. He's like, it blows my mind. We're never the cool, hip people. Uh, it's been since like third grade when I had my, well, I wasn't even a starter jacket. I had a Mighty Mac Notre Dame jacket. But I remember getting that for a third grade Christmas and being like, that was the coolest thing on the playground. I'm like, oh, hey, man. that's going to be the kids. They're going to be wearing the blue and gold instead of the Charlotte Hornets or whatever the heck the popular starter coats are these days. Hey, I man, myself it, I just, uh, it just makes you want to root for the guy as a person. Like you were always going to root for Notre Dame because we're Notre Dame. Even if Kelly was there, I just like this guy more. I'm sorry. Just on a personal level. I just do. He's not like this chameleon that feels like he's just trying to be a snake oil salesman. Like it feels genuine. And it's been so long since anything's felt genuine. Yep. Like, Feels like you just feel that you just feel that it comes through. It's just something you feel the vibe of. Like it's just more welcoming. I don't know. I just like it. I like it, and I hope it works out. Or I'm gonna be really miserable. Like if this tanks, Nick. Yeah, this might be our last gasp. Like if if we realize in three years he has no idea to be a head coach, and he's just a defensive coordinator recruiter, and it and and it. I am going to have real struggles with that. I just think it's going to be unlikely. He's smart enough. He's going to pick this up. He well, is. That, and I think he it's already shown you one of the key things that like when Bob Davey was hired, what was the first mistake Bob Davey made? Chased a couple of like the Joe Moores off that staff. Chased some of the veteran, very good assistant coaches off that staff. What did Marcus Freeman do? He upgraded this staff, an already very good staff. He upgraded and improved. He recognized the weak points that every fan saw and recognized, got them out of town, and got significant upgrades at each of them. Took spots that were strong and said, you know what, we can get even better here, and did that. There's no reason not to be optimistic. There's no reason not to be excited. Like, hey, I'm with you. Like, if if three years from now it's not working out, like, it's going to be like, okay, we're turning 40 this year. Damn it, Marcus Freeman, you're giving me a grabber, and this is about it for me. But, but uh, it's like, but Nick, I've got to be they, in this. But if they recruit to this level, how bad, how low can the floor be if you're going to recruit at the level we're seeing with the structure Notre Dame provides, where you know damn well it isn't going to get out of control? That's not going to happen. He isn't going to lose control of this. 
and you're bringing in that level of talent for two or three years, how bad could it be? I mean, how bad could it be at that point? How bad did it get? Like, what were Mac Brown's worst years at the end of Texas? Ugh. Like, I, that's the only thing because I that was that's a guy that's clearly competent, clearly recruits like all hell. Yeah. Ultimately, he won the national championship, but there's a lot of big games that he left uh, left some to be desired in. But yeah. Like, well, and of course, back to what Texas was with him when he couldn't be trusted and he couldn't run the program anymore, and what they've been the ten years since. And it's okay. Like, oh, yeah, you might miss that. Yeah. But you know what else, too? That low, like you're saying, the floor is not that low. Exactly. Yeah. And and the thing with Mac Brown, though, too, if you win a title, then I, I'm I'm a lot more open to you leveling off and be, like give me the one, and then like I I'm gonna be less mad when it starts to go down. Sure. But the best way to ac- accelerate your learning curve as a new coach is to have an ass load of talent around you. That's a really great way to ease into the job is to have four and five star guys all over, all over. Right. And that's what he's going for. With an all-star staff and surround yourself with telling you, I mean, it's how bad could it be? I just don't see it. I don't either. Like, I think that this year you're going into the season, going to be a top 10 team in the country. And my expectations for this year are the lowest that they'll probably be in the Marcus Freeman era for Me the too. future. And I it's agree. Like we're going to be a consensus top 10 team to start the year. I agree. The future is bright, Nick. I, the future is bright. But here we both are. We've seen one kind of game from him, nothing else, but a lot of recruiting. And we like the guy. And we're already fully bought in. Like, are we homers or are we being logical Well, or, or both? I think it's both. I think there's a homerism side of why we're optimistic. Me too. We've seen so much of what hasn't worked. Right. We're old enough to remember the heyday of Lou and why part of that worked. I think that there's clear similarities of the way this is getting started versus yeah. what Lou did when he took over for a program that was seemingly dead at that point. This isn't a dead program that he's inheriting. Yeah, And so I, I just think there are so many similarities, at least in terms of personality, that I, I mean, I can't help but look at this and be excited, be optimistic about it. Like it helps that, yeah, Marcus Freeman is a really easy guy to just root for and just how much he's embraced Notre Dame. Like I find myself just wanting to embrace embrace everything that is that program right now because I think oh, it's truly one of the true unique teams or brands or programs that there are in this country. Nick, it's everything, man. I look at that suit he was wearing at the draft. I'm pausing the TV. I'm going, oh, I'm going, jeez, yeah, look at that. My look at that four screen suit. Like that in a suit and have the, BB, have the balls to wear a nice green Christmas tree looking thing like that. With with the white, the crisp white bands. Oh, yeah. oh like no, he's just got it all covered, man. No, it's God. His stylist deal, I forget who it's with, but it's not it's not worth enough money. I mean, they should it's ESQ. Yeah, ESQ. He should yep. be double whatever he's making right now. Yeah. Um, so I, I am uncharacteristically optimistic, and that is a very uncomfortable position for me to be in because it is not my default Notre Dame setting from all the scar tissue. And, but... I feel like it's it's logic. Like I can put my heart out of it and look at the evidence and I still think it. So I don't think it's just us being homers. I think there's a lot of evidence that suggests what we're thinking. 
And if not, he wouldn't be the head guy. They would have hired Fickle or whatever else. Right. Right? Right. Well, so I think obviously so. we're not the only ones who see that and think that. Yeah. I mean, I think that was the whole reason was that, okay, you wait on Fickle. Is that going to be Kelly 2.0 that you have a certain yawn, season? Yawn. Yep. I would I would have not been good, stable, but like doesn't energize, doesn't get me like all fired up that there's an extra high-end level. It would it, it would almost be Kelly-ish to me, but a little yeah. different. Exactly. I would not. Freeman was my guy. Like I was going to have a existential breakdown if they let him go coach at Duke or something. I know. And, and do all that recruiting for Duke or something. Cause they had to have a guy with experience. This was the guy, Nick, like it, yeah. it just, this was it right time, just right vibe, right culture, stable. This was it. Yeah. This was it. It's, if you're ever going with a guy with no experience, this was it. Yeah. I mean, you, you were not going to have what he inherited in terms of his assistant coaching staff. I, even if it would have stayed the exact same, there are names on there that we might not have liked, but that was a coaching staff that could handle him being a first time head coach. He upgraded that. Like, I don't have – that was my biggest worry was just, God, I got flashbacks to Davey, the first head coach thing. You've seen Kirby Smart thrive. You've seen Lincoln Riley thrive. You've seen this happen and become more of a regular thing in college football where these guys are getting chances and succeeding with those chances. Marcus Freeman is one of those dudes that can step into a room and relate to a 16-year-old or 17-year-old. You haven't had one of those guys that is like a top four, top five guy in the country at being able to simply perform that task. You haven't had one of those guys in forever. You have one now. You don't let him go. That means promoting him to head coach. You do that. You did that. Now hopefully reap the rewards. Four out of the top 12 coach recruiters on 247 as of last week were Notre Dame coaches. Four out of the top 12. Now, I know it's early and a lot can change, whatever. I don't care. That tells me things are different. The staff's different. The priorities are different. Sky's the limit. And, and I'm here, quite frankly, I'm here for it. These are all changes I've been crying for and begging for We're forever. And it's here. I know. I know. Fast forward. Get my ass to September. Let's go. Man, I'm especially if I'm, baseball stays like this. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I I put the Sox Cubs game on pause to come down here, so I'm gonna go back upstairs and pick it up. We'll see what oh, I'm gonna get. I don't know. We'll <laughs> see. Um, Nick, we're an hour and forty three minutes. It's a pretty good run. Uh, we're gonna have to do this again. And, no, it's enjoyable. Like, it's just enjoyable. It's nice to, like, I, I know we, I, I don't know what we said off the air and what we said on the air at this point, but it's just nice to be able to banter about Notre Dame, about college football, kind of having, not scripted, but have enough of a carved out. We know we're going to talk about certain things, but also whatever the heck comes up, it's just fun to talk about. And God, it's nice to talk about it with an optimistic point of view for, where the future is actually brighter. You can actually see that, hey, yep. there's a reason why I'm buying into this, not just uh, I'm throwing yep. pennies into a wishing well see, and for the best year. That's a key point. Just like we like Marcus because he's genuine, my optimism is genuine. It isn't just to try and be positive, to lead people on to click on YouTube. I w My whole shtick is I'm telling you exactly how I see it, good, bad, or indifferent. Mm -hmm. It's a genuine hope 
from all the indicators I have. And so I'm going to run with it. And I think we found our guy, Nick. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I it was, once the shock and kind of all went away, like, okay, well, now you got to go hire a head coach. Don't overthink this. He's on your staff. You have one of those dudes. Yep. And this program is set up to succeed with a first-time head coach. Don't let that be the deterrent. Everyone wants him there, and recruiting is clearly going to take off with him there. Do the right thing. Glad, glad Jack Swarbrick did. And I think that it's going to be one of the best things that happened to this program in a really stinking long time. I agree. And I'm here for it. We've waited a long time, and it's about time we get this payback. So, Nick, thank you so much for joining me. Tell everybody again where to find you. Right? Okay. USA Today, Irish Wire? Yeah, Fighting Irish Wire on USA Today. You can just do fightingirishwire.com. I mean, it's daily content. Any story that, that happens, we're covering, having thoughts on, having reaction to, giving opinions on. And then on Twitter, at Irish Wire ND, or at, like you just see on the screen there, at Nick Shepkowski. Shepkowski, just like it sounds, just with a K instead of a C. That Shepkowski guy. That Shepkowski. That's me. Beautiful. Nick, thank you so much for this. I had a, it was a joy. Anytime something comes up, you want to talk about, shoot me a text and we'll do it again. Anytime. I'm happy to, man. This was a blast. Beautiful. Have a good night. We'll talk to you soon. All righty. Take care. You too.